Hello to all the blind blues players out there. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Good to talk to you again. This is your friend Chris Gethard. Hope everybody's doing well. You might notice that the tone of this intro right here, a little different. We're uh, taping the episode intro at the uh, Chris Gethard Show offices. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. Tuesday nights, 11 p.m. on True TV. Uh, it's a busy and exhausting gig. That's why I love Beautiful Anonymous so much. Laid back, thoughtful, empathetic. I think you guys have heard it in my voice the past couple of weeks. How much I truly love and appreciate this gig where I get to talk to you guys on the phone and then a whole bunch of other people listen and analyze. It's really fun. Um, last week's episode, we had the virtual dominatrix. This was someone who was working as a sex worker, but in in sort of these like hidden online worlds that uh, opened up all sorts of thoughts about what sex work actually is that I hadn't thought of. That one got a big reaction online. I tell you, Beautiful Anonymous, the community on Facebook, close to 30,000, 27,000 members, something like that. Join up today. It's really fun. People discuss stuff. It's a good time. A lot of people had strong opinions on that. Here's one that I liked from Jennifer. This call reminded me of how lonely people can be. The caller clearly has a high emotional IQ and knows how to create a human connection that her clients have difficulty finding elsewhere. Yes, the, con- the connection started with fetishism, but her non-judgmental approach allows her clients to get what they are really looking for, emotional support. She helps people feel seen. I think that kind of sums it up, kind of sums up the type of work that that caller was doing. But I tell you, when I read that, yeah, you know, the caller has a high emotional IQ and knows how to create a human connection that her clients have difficulty finding elsewhere, I feel like that could describe me, the listeners of this show. Who knows? This is like a platonic. Maybe I'm doing like modern day platonic, the platonic version of her sex work here. Beautiful anonymous. Who knows? I uh, I don't know. We got a. We I got some dates coming up. I'm doing a whole bunch of stand up this summer. It's coming up soon uh, in June. ChrisGeth.com lists all the cities, all the links to buy tickets. I really would love to meet you guys. One of the best things about going on the road, meeting the beautiful anonymous fans face to face. Now this week's episode. This one I thought was uh, so cool. Caller just has a different life than me, man. And I bet a lot of people say that. First of all, grew up in a different country. That's always fascinating to me. Lives in America now. So I got to sort of say, hey, as someone who didn't grow up here, who now lives here and in a very sort of specific region of this country, what do you think of that? But more importantly, you'll see that the omnipresent thing here is uh, this caller works in a field that's just about as intense as it gets. Um, This is someone who's a lawyer who is in the thick of it in one of the most debated about topics in American legal thought of the past, I'd say, 50 years. I think that's totally fair to say. This is someone who's in the trenches, has strong beliefs, and is uh, trying to make a difference in a real way, but in a world where she is up close and personal with a lot of stuff that is very intense and often sad and often frustrating and heartbreaking. What a cool conversation to have. Caller, thanks for calling in, uh, filling me in on this one, because uh, it it blew my mind, and I think it's going to blow a lot of your minds. Enjoy the call. 
Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? 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 Hi. Hi. Is that Chris? Yes, this is Chris. Hi, Chris. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good. I got you on old-fashioned hands-free thing, so... On old-fashioned what now? I couldn't hear that. <laughs> See, that's the test. I'm on a I'm on a oldish phone, so I have a hands-free set because it allows me to hear you better, but I'm not sure you get to hear me better. I hear you pretty well. And I'll just Good. Uh, I'll just make some gentle jokes if it gets out of range <laughs> of your mouth and we'll adjust it. Okay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Are you just repeating what I say? No, not at all. I'm just trying to have a normal conversation like a human <laughs> being here. I said, I said, how are you? Are you doing well? Um, how am I doing? Am I doing well? I tell you, I, uh, we're, we're recording this on a week where I am on, on hiatus for my TV show, which means that I'm, you know, making a TV show is a pressure cooker. Can't complain. Good life. <laughs> but I get a week off, and uh, after this call is when my vacation begins. Get like five or six days wow. off. So I'm feeling pretty good. Well, well I feel I've, I've, I've struck gold then. I've got you when you're on a high. And Very it's like week. happy hour. It's Friday. It's mm-hmm. holiday time. And I just did some jujitsu. And uh, that always <gasps> makes me feel good, even though I got my ass handed to me. That's how that goes. I haven't tried it. Yeah. Well, actually, I told a lie about that. I tried it when I was much younger. But honestly, the level that I was at, I was like 21-year-old woman. They put me with like the 17-year-old guy because we were a good match in height and weight and all that stuff. And it was just awkward. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now I should ask... I really want to try it again. Oh, that would be great. It's fun. I should ask just the obvious question out of the way. Where are you from? I am from the northwest of England. I am getting to the point where I know the northern accent. That makes me proud. I thought you were from the north. Do you want to have a guess where I am in the north? Uh, well, I'm not there right now, but... my I'll be honest. I'm ignorant of geography to the point where it would expose me <laughs> as a fool. Uh, well, there... that's okay. I'm like the northwest Manchester region, and I, uh, I, the true Mancunians would say I'm not a Mancunian because I'm not true city girl because I was raised in like the suburb zone. But mm-hmm. um, for, I guess, forgive me for Americans, I just say sort of Northwest Manchester region. Look at that. Oh, Manchester, so much to answer for, as they say. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, they've got a lot of soul. It's a beautiful <laughs> city. Indeed. I did a show up there. Uh, when was that? Last year, January 2017. I was doing shows in London, and I said on the podcast I was having a rocky time. I was in my head, and I, I went up and did one show in Manchester, and that was the best. That was the best. And the best. Yeah. Is that really true? Well, not to doubt you, but you know, people like to flatter people when they're no, you know, which is sweet. It's good intention. No, I'll tell you exactly why. Is um, this? I immediately felt a little at home because. I'm from New Jersey, which has a really big chip on its shoulder about not being like the cool place. And I immediately got the sense, oh, Mancunians have the same chip on their shoulder. Same chip. No. Oh, yeah. Northerners? We know we're the coolest place. (laughs) You know you're the coolest place, but you also scoff that London thinks they're the coolest place. Well, I guess that is true. We do 
I guess it's kind of like when I have this conversation with people where I am now, I guess I say the equivalent is kind of like if you meet a British person and they think New York is America. Right. You know, you kind of like want to remind them that there's a New Jersey that's really cool and edgy and it's got other stuff going on. And there's Chicago and San Francisco and Miami and Texas. And you need to see all these other cool places. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I would say that's true. Now, how are you? You asked me how I'm doing. You you rightfully pinned me to the wall for not answering thoroughly or honestly. I feel like we've gone over (laughs) that. So now I can ask you, how are you? I'm, you know, I'm... I guess I am good. I'm I'm doing fine. I'm I guess for me I was just actually I just got in from work. I'd sat through crazy traffic in a city where nobody apparently can really drive very well, especially when it rains. Um, but I'm good. I'm back, I'm home, it's the weekend, it's Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm I am. I'm doing good. The life has its ups and downs and well, you know about that, and definitely the people who have been on your uh, on your podcast certainly oh, know that. Man. Which, by the way, I should say, and I know everyone says it, but you know, I'm relatively new to the podcast, but I have very much enjoyed it. Um, the journey and listening to some people has been amazing. Well, that's awful nice of you, and I'm very, very happy that I get to do this. It's the best gig ever. This, I, this, there could not be a more laid back more fun gig and just talking to people yeah no I'm, I'm like super envious of you it's, it is it's a great gig and what a wonderful concept now um so yeah beautiful anonymous um i guess i'll say this like um you know one of the things i was thinking about was all it's cheesy right but uh all these there's all been a lot of random people in my life over the last couple of years and um I was thinking about them, like, obviously, they're not anonymous to me, but they are definitely beautiful. And they've been there when they haven't known me at all or very well and um, picked me up, you know, like these lots of little special, beautiful moments in life that actually are the tiny insignificant things. So, yeah, I guess that's one of the things to talk about and then one of the things I've been reflecting on recently. All right. Well, I'm all ears. You're all ears? Okay, shall I tell you about, <laughs> I'll, I'll start, I guess, um, with my, I guess, why I'm here, and I am in America. Oh, you are? Um, yes, I am. I am from the UK, but um living in America now, um, and I've been here for a couple of years now, um, and I came, I came for work, really, Um uh, and I, I work on a legal project, and uh, I guess, well, yeah, I, I guess the easiest way to explain it is um, I'm a lawyer in the UK, and I came over here to join other lawyers in working on death penalty cases, um, wow. in particular trying to uh, stop the death penalty, or at least, I guess, stop people dying, basically. Wow, so are, um, are, you, uh, are you focused on, on wrongful convictions or are you trying to actively get things run up to the Supreme Court to try to abolish the death penalty in general? Um, I mean, 
both and all of those are certainly wrongful convictions we do not like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's not all about that. It's not all about innocence. It's about um, it's about stopping the government killing its people, really. Yeah. Um, no matter what they've done. Um, and living where I live, you know, I, I'll say I, I know there's a broad spectrum of views and politics all related to the death penalty. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been a part of my journey, especially when I've moved from a predominantly anti-death penalty place to a place where perhaps I don't want to shout too loudly what I do at the local bar, you know? Um, So, yeah, so I guess guess I'm a Brit living in the South, um, learning the ways of the South, the good and the bad, and adjusting to doing this very particular type of work that um that can be can be very difficult and is definitely a fight at times and unpopular among some people now i'm again an ignorant person i'll just ask the questions for anybody else who might also be wondering does the uk the uk does not have the death penalty correct no no we don't have the death penalty we used to have the death penalty but not anymore how how long ago was it eliminated? Well, the last executions were back in the 60s. Um, 60s. And it became, I guess, de facto abolitionist. But I guess officially, in terms of the law, it left our books late 90s, maybe early 2000s, maybe even. But really, it was long gone before, well, before I was born. Yeah, yeah. Um which is, I guess, uh, you know, I guess we talk about sort of bar talk, but that's a really strange thing when people hear my accent and then they're like, you do what? What do you do in particular? And <laughs> I always start general as we begin to talk to see whether it's going to go down well and how much I should expose and, you know, whether there's a state attorney behind me or a police officer or yeah. somebody who's very different minded or, you know, somebody who's been affected by by similar crimes who may be passionately um, for the death penalty because uh, obviously I don't want to offend anybody, but um, there is a, I guess from certainly from just little old me British way, there's definitely a, there's definitely a problem here in America um, in terms of the death penalty and how yeah. it's applied. Yeah. We're one of the so, only, we're one yeah. of the only advanced countries that still has it, let alone as predominantly as we do. Correct. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And until recently, um, you guys were, well, you were up there. You were the fifth top executioner. I think you've dropped recently in the last couple of years, um, a couple of spots. But you were definitely up there behind China and Iran and Pakistan. And, uh, yeah, it's you had you were holding interesting company, shall we say, in wow. in, in the stats in terms of the world context yeah. of death penalty. I love my country. Uh, I tell yeah. you, I love my country to death. But I do think sometimes we uh, we maybe as Americans have a little bit of a problem where we buy into the narrative and then don't necessarily look beyond ourselves to where the bar is actually set. I like to say we're the greatest I, place in the world, and then you list some of the countries that are the ones we're in the mix with. And you're like, well, those are the countries we talk the most shit about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it is. It's definitely true. And often when I'm talking to people about it, that's one of the things they find most interesting to learn that they are sort of uh, up there with 
with China and Iran and countries that we know have very poor human rights um, right. records. And But I will say this, I definitely don't want um, you or anyone to think that I do not love America. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be able to be here and live here and, you know, function in my everyday personal life without, uh, without loving, loving that. But it's definitely been an adjustment. And yeah. one of the beautiful things about um, America is, is that there's definitely, you guys have this vibe um, and you feel it when you, when you arrive and you get off the plane, there is this, there is the vibe, which goes back to people sort of, the stereotype of the American dream and the land of the free and you come with your ideas and you can do anything and, you know, you can make a podcast and random people coming in and telling your stories or you can create your business. And yeah. so I, it is, there's definitely, it's infectious. Like I feel that. And that's definitely one of the best things about, about your country. That's nice to hear. And I'll say, as an American, especially I think a lot of us feel like things have gone really haywire the past couple of years. No matter where you're at on the political spectrum, it seems like everybody agrees. Oh, things are really getting heated and tense, but it is still a country where it's like, you know what I think about when I leave the country and I come back, I'm like, we just have some breathing room here. We give each other breathing room to go try. Like if you want to fall on your face and waste all your money trying to do something, <laughs> you can go try it. You can go try it. And I like that. I still think it's nice. uh, yeah now do you feel and you- i think if you fail you guys kind of almost respect that oh, it's yeah. like okay you tried you did it you had a go i love great failure. what's next big fan of failure over here now do you feel like you often need to give the i love america caveat uh being that americans don't always love people with british accents uh airing out their opinions <laughs> on american policy <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's one of those. I've had to give a few presentations and things on what I'm doing right now to other lawyers. And, you know, you can hear that sort of, oh, that pin drop and the tension when I get up and I begin to speak. And people realize it's a British woman telling us how to do things in this country. Like, go home. You know the history between countries. What are you doing, you weird colonial? I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's a thing you guys have to deal with, huh? I'll say to I tell you, I just went on a, this is a sidetrack. We'll talk a lot because it's fascinating, your life. I just went on a vacation in Sri Lanka, which was, uh, you know, a British colony for many, many years, known as Ceylon yeah. back then. And there's almost no Americans who, who vacation there, who holiday there. There was a lot of British. And I was like, this is kind of weird, man. Do British people often go on vacation in former colonies? Because I'm like, is this is a part of this psychologically to kind of like feel like what that was like? But that's just me projecting. I I don't know whether it's that they pick pick the old colonies. I think there's just a more natural. I guess it's the natural leftovers, and you know, the watered down Brits that stayed for whatever reason, or children of and generations. I mean. For example, my, you know, my mom and dad used to travel a lot to India, but, but that's because our grandparents were, were born there, you know, and, and that's crazy sometimes when you think about it. Yeah. But, um, and you try, it's funny, I think the dynamics now is that the younger generations try to be as respectful as they can, and, but there is, there is this colonial Legacy. horrible shadow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, yeah, it's funny. I guess sort of, I don't know what the parallels would be for America. I mean, I mean, it's certainly a huge topic of debate and race. 
and that plays a massive part of in my course. work as well. But obviously with Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happening now. And and did you see there's um, been a lot of pieces on Brian Stevenson's museum that just opened in Alabama, which is all about sort of memorializing slavery and lynching and forcing different jurisdictions in the oh, U.S. to... Oh, um, I guess, take accountability for that. And the way they do that is accept a column that they will erect in their home county or whatever. And then when you go to the museum, you get to see who takes accountability by the number of columns. So I guess it's kind of like the future generations trying to take responsibility for the history and do that in a respectful way, but also still live their lives and enjoy the world. It's intense stuff. You're a super smart person. You're super elegant. You're a super eloquent person. That was beautiful. Well, I hope I'm not boring. That's one of the things I thought. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be boring. No, not at all. <laughs> I guess that's human reaction. So, uh, well, you know, we're just going to go with it because I'm like, whatever. It, no. it, I'm going with the flow recently. That's oh. what I've sort of decided to do in my life. That's rad. I'm all for that. But you're not boring at all. You're someone who traveled to a different country to try to uh, take down an archaic law. That's not boring. So how did how does one get into this? The origin story. It's coming up. Everybody loves an origin story, right? Everybody. You have to wait to hear that though, because we got some ads. Back after this with more phone call. Tell ya, sleep is a commodity. Sleep is a very important thing to me. You got to have bedding that helps make sleep easy when you're stressed out as I am. That's why I love brooklinen.com. Spend a third of your life in your sheets. You better make sure putting in the effort, using the products that help you get the best sleep on the best sheets, brooklinen.com. That's the best, most comfortable sheets right there. And there's no big markup on those, okay? It's a husband and wife team. Put it together. 2014, they had a philosophy. Let's get beautiful, comfortable home essentials without all the crazy prices. No unnecessary markups and fees. Most bedding is marked up 300%. That's crazy. That's crazy. Brooklinen is the fastest growing bedding brand in the world. They got 15,000 five-star reviews. Brooklyn and Sheets were named the winner of the best of online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. There's good colors and patterns. Me and Hallie, my lovely wife, we sat, we picked out ours. It was fun. Mixing and matching them compliment the bedroom decor. It's luxury bedding, underpriced. You got to try these sheets today. My Brooklyn sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for beautiful anonymous listeners. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code beautiful at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen so confident, they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way you get that 20 bucks off and free shipping, use the promo code beautiful at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code beautiful. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. Oh, boy. What's that smell coming from the toaster? What is that perfect smell wafting over from your toaster? Must be time for me to talk about Thomas's original nooks and crannies English muffin. This is the one-of-a-kind eating experience, all right? There's nothing quite like it. You got that nooks and crannies texture, perfectly toasted, giving you that irresistible crispy edge, soft, warm center. I'm a true fan. I've been eating these things since I was a kid. This is one of the few perfect foods in the world, my friend. 
easy to make, easy to find. Go out and get them. You got to reveal that perfect nooks and cranny goodness, though, right? You got to pull those English muffin halves apart, or use a fork to split them. Don't use a knife. Don't don't be that's don't be brutal about this. Get it nice, and then you toast each half. Top it right away with butter. Watch that butter melt. Pool inside those amazing little nooks and cranny spaces. It's delicious. There's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. I love my Thomas's English muffins. If you haven't had them already, you have to toast and butter some Thomas's nooks and crannies English muffins. They're truly like no other. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. So how did how does one get into this? Well, I mean, I, well, I can tell you how I did. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was thirteen years old. And I watched a documentary with my sister. She was watching me whilst my parents were out of town. And um, it was about the death penalty. Um, and I believe it was a show called 14 Days in May. And the BBC in the 80s went into Parchment, which is a prison in Mississippi, and they filmed the last 14 days of this guy's life, Edward L. Johnson. And I watched that, and I guess sort of at the end of the show, there was this pop-up, like, what can you do about this? And at the time... Um, some British people had started this letter writing to people on death row, be like a lifeline to somebody who has no one else, um, and be a pen friend, basically. Um, and so I did that. Um, and that's, yeah, that's how it all began. I began to write to somebody. Wow. Um, when you were 13? We, yeah, I mean, yes. Although... Lifelines wouldn't let 13 year olds write at the time. So I got my sister to like sign up and be a member. So we both wrote at the time. But um, yeah, I was, yeah, it, I know that sounds strange, right? I've often said to my mom, I was like, hey, if I happen to have children and my 13 year old daughter came to me and said she's going to start writing to somebody on death row, I would be like, no. Yeah, what kind of. <laughs> what, what are you doing? <laughs> what kind of things does a 13 year old tell a death row prisoner and, and what, letter, what is coming back as well? Uh, well, I, you know, I think I, even when I was 13, I think like I found the. I guess I found the right words. I think it probably was really basic, like. Hello, my name is, I am 70 years old. My nickname is, my favorite color is, what's yours? You know, how's your day going? This is what I've done today, you know? Um, And the kind of thing, yeah. I mean, one of the crazy things as well is that um, as years later, um, I as I get into this work and I'm, I'm doing stuff, I meet somebody who used to be incarcerated in the same place that my pen friend was. And he's now out. He was found innocent. And we are traveling in the UK for him to give a talk in Manchester. And uh, I, I just said to him, I was like, hey, you know, do you happen to know so-and-so, so-and-so? And he's like, what? And this must have been, I think I was in my mid-20s then. And... Uh, he, he said to me, wait, he said to me years ago, oh, I've got this weird little girl writing to me. Wow. <laughs> and they, they had laughed and joked about how that could possibly be a bad thing for him. <laughs> you know, if, you know, people were watching his letters because they review everything and he just has this random weird little girl writing to him, perhaps 
that's not the best pen friend for somebody in there to, to have. But um, <laughs> I just thought it was so funny to wow. imagine how strange it was at his end as well as mine. But, I'll, you know, we did strike up a um, friendship. And I would almost say, oh, almost say like, because he's so much older and I was young and impressionable at the time. You know, he did influence my decisions on what I would choose to do. Like, I wanted to do law. I was interested in criminal justice. I was interested in investigation and his life story of how he ended up there. And all that pushed me into doing law. And then, yeah, and then doing sort of death penalty work, which, I mean, very fortunately, like, took me to Southeast Asia and the Middle East on some things. But now I'm back in America, and it just so happens that I'm in the same state as him. So, I mean, not that that's all deliberate, but it is kind of crazy coincidental that I go through this whole career path and then end up doing this work in the state where my pen friend is and still is because he's still on on death row, which is also crazy because he's been there. He's almost one of the records for the longest. Wow. Have you, um, vis- have you visited prisoner. him? Have you met him? I I haven't. We've spoke about that and I guess we're being careful on on how we both feel about that and now I'm sort of a professional here how that might be viewed with other right, people but right. um I I wrote to him not too long ago um saying okay so I've decided I'm I I'm up for it we should do it we should I should come see you um so I'm waiting to see what see what he has to say about that wow what a, a lot of people get I mean, inspired when crazy. a lot of people get inspired about something when they're thirteen and they don't wind up actually doing it. Kudos to you. Now, can I? Yeah. I want to ask. There's so much I want to talk about. This is flying by. I can't believe we only have thirty-seven minutes left, and I can't believe how quick this is moving. I do want to ask. Here's something that I think you're uniquely positioned to tell me. So, I I think a lot of the surface level battle over the death penalty is emotional, right? <laughs> It's people going, someone committed a crime so heinous, they deserve to die. Or it's people going, you'd never take human life. And those are emotional arguments. What are the logical breakdowns? Because I've, I've actually read a lot. I'm really fascinated by a lot of stories. The impression I get is there's actually like logical, if not like, finan- like between false convictions, between actual financial breakdowns of what happens. There's very yeah. logical reasons I mean- to not do this, correct? Yeah, and I think I think you're you're right in terms of that. There's an emotional um, reaction and uh, a vengeful that if people want revenge and feel that somebody who does something so heinous is waves all of those rights and should be punished and punished badly. And obviously, if it's a horrible, horrible murder, um, that you should have a maximum punishment. And that, and I think. That's the outlook. There's emotion, revenge, and punish. You want to punish somebody. I think certainly here, this system is less about trying to rehabilitate people. I think the view for pro-death penalty is people don't believe that you can rehabilitate somebody who's done something so awful. Um, Whereas my side of, of the argument to that is... A criminal justice system shouldn't be based on emotion. That's why we set up the system the way we do and have members of the jury 
who aren't related to the case make decisions and, and try a case, and why we have these rules and due process. But in terms of logical argument, yeah, a lot of people think it's um, cheaper to, to execute somebody. It's, it's not here. It might have been in, in the UK in the 60s, but the way the system is here, I mean, my pen friend has been on death row for, oh, I think it's almost 35 years now. No, it's over 35 because he was convicted and sentenced to death just before I was born. So he is, yeah, he's like now looking at almost 36, 37 years on death row. And he's not alone, you know. Um, I think the average right now is about 17 years. Um, and the money that the states have to put up for, yes, the incarceration costs, um, keeping people alive, but also all of the lawyers and all of the appeals that follow. It's not just the trial. It's, I mean, you, you have a lot of lawyers coming in on board and you have to have more investigators. And certainly um, in the American system, it costs you a lot more to kill someone than, for instance, you could take that money. I think there isn't a good study right now in the state that I'm in, but California has done some and Oregon have done some. And it's, it's shown that you'll save millions, millions and millions of dollars. I think California was, you know, like 3.5 million, uh, it's lots of money anyway, shitloads of money, which for me, I would, I would take that if it was the land of, oh, I just said my name, sorry. Um, well, bleep it. If, if it was me, I would bleep it, please. Yeah. Um, if it was me, I would take that money, put it into school, take that money, put it into training police officers on mental health issues or how you deal with this scenario or giving people better equipment or I don't know, put it wherever you want, but into something positive and proactive instead of ending someone's life. Um, and I think the, the other thing for me is people um, talk about, you know, the right to life and the value of life. And I think there's something kind of, excuse me, like fucked up in trying to tell someone that what you did, you killed somebody, you took another's life is wrong and unforgivable and that means you're a shit person forever and this could be i don't know chris it could be you know a lot of people think these are serial killers and these are people who are evil and you can't fix them and that i can definitely tell you from i have not met anybody who i think is that who i think there's no hope you can't do anything with this person and I just think if we were able to redirect some of our finances and, and perspectives, we could, we could fix that. We can't fix people who have been killed through murder. But what we can do is, is try to get people to take accountability for that. Try to stop and understand the, how people get to the stage where they end up killing somebody. Um, and the other thing sort of crazy is if you're going to have a system like that, which I wouldn't condone, but if we are, let's apply it fairly. Um, let's like, I don't know. I can tell you, for example, just not so long ago, we were very fortunate in getting a clemency and that was lucky. That never, ever happens. And the reason why we got clemency is because the guy involved in the murder was actually on a different floor to where the murder took place. And the gangster who had ordered the hit 
got a life sentence. The person who was the hitman who did the shooting got a life sentence. But the guy involved in the gang on the basement floor got a death sentence, which is nuts. Like, he, you know, he was there, part of the commission of the crime, but not the guy responsible for even the killing. And it's great that we got a clemency, but there's loads of stories like that where really they call them, there's a word for them, non-trigger men. You know, they don't actually do the killing, but by virtue of being part of a robbery or et cetera, you're, you're kind of implicated. And honestly, the difference between those three people were lawyers, how good your lawyers were, which is really sad. Yeah. It's who you yeah. can afford or who volunteers on your behalf. That's it's, crazy. Yeah. What do you say to people yeah. who say it's a deterrent for other crimes? I point to... Um, a committee of experts that were pulled together to review, I forget the period, I don't know, 40 years worth of research in the modern era of the death penalty. And since America brought back the death penalty in in the seventies. And there is no evidence. There is absolutely no evidence um, for or against it being a deterrent. It seems to suggest it just doesn't make a difference. And I guess for me, I would, Point to like, I don't know, the UK or Europe or other countries that don't quite have the same murder rate as America, who don't have the death penalty, um, who punishment systems seem to be focused a little bit differently or more at rehab or um, addressing sort of big drug programs or mental health programs or better social welfare where you're because really if you want to catch people it's got to be when they're kids and yeah. and you can see like we there's a textbook of death penalty cases of who ends up on death row and you can almost always see it coming um so you can nudge people off track i guess is is what i would would say um but yeah as for the deterrent there's yeah there's nothing there i think yeah. that's like People would love there to be, and but there isn't, um, and it's just not. Yeah, let's let's just not kill people because we've just got it wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and it's definitely not worth all the money if you're a businessman. Just put it somewhere else. Um, and I think it's difficult because, especially, you know, there's definitely in in the state where I am now, there's been a lot of horrendous um, crimes recently, murders, and. Uh, that is emotional, and I feel personally affected. You know, uh, when my when my friends and social circle don't want to go dancing at the local gay club because we're worried somebody will come in on the way of mass shooting, and, and my friends are worried about finding the right schools for their kids. Like that is scary, and you do want a message to send to people that you can't do that kind of stuff. But generally, I guess I say the messier the crime, the more hideous, horrendous, messed up disgusting um usually the individual behind that the bigger the hole in the head the bigger the trauma the bigger and more obvious reasoning there's going to be as soon as we look at that person as to why and how they got to where they were right right so yeah i mean I guess I went off track a little bit but I hope that kind of answers some of your questions yeah absolutely here's my next question how you like in the South? How's a British person like the South? You hear it. You hear it. South gets a bad rap. I say that as a Northerner. 
it can get a bad yeah, rap at times. Yeah, it does. But then in the UK, as you started this conversation, the North gets a bad rap, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel in some ways I'm at home. <laughs> right. Um, but also I'll say this, the city I live in, because I've lived in the South before and I've lived in like Jackson, Mississippi, and you know, like which is really the South. I kind of feel like I'm in a little bubble where I am. So I'm in... I wouldn't say, I'd say, yeah, I, I mean, I would say there's a lot of international coming through, very transient city. There's a Latino vibe. It's, so it's, it's fun. And I, I, I love the South for its hospitality and its kindness. And in fact, this is one of the things I started the conversation with. I found this bar and it took me a long time to find this bar in this city, which is effectively, I was looking for the equivalent of the British pub, right? Like mm-hmm. my local where I can go anytime and know that I'm good on my own and it's a community and I found it and it's like amazing. And it's, I don't know if you could do like an anonymous podcast of the people in this bar, I bet it would make like a great show because we are <laughs> all so different. So you mm-hmm. have like, the weird liberal British girl coming over doing this death penalty work. You've got the like Trump lover gun toting, kill them all. I love hunting all day guy. You've got like police officers, you've got judges, you've got, you know, guys who are illegals. You've got all sorts of craziness going on, but in this magical little place, we all come together. Sometimes we have our awkward moments, but we all get along. And that, I swear, is the South. Like yeah. that vibe. I think that's true, isn't um, it? I think that's true. Although, I, I I mean, there's certainly an Irish pub or two I know in New York. There was a bar where that used to, it was like half comedians, half cops every night. And I'm like, you couldn't get more different than those two cultures. But every, let's hang out. <laughs> have a drink. Have a drink. I think in America, and, I mean, all over the world, right? People unite over drinking. That's one of the human... Well, yeah, that's true. But I definitely even there's like places where the young people go, or yeah. and sometimes like the it, the white people and the black people mm-hmm, and the, mm-hmm. you know. But here, like it's like a it's a beautiful mismatch. What a nice thing to find. Somehow we all have our different opinions, but somehow maintain, especially in the crazy politics world now, and people going to the extremes. Even though we each hold those opinions outside the bar, just for that period of time, <laughs> it's kind of dropped. Or there's a respect that means you can talk of. I don't know. It's a it's That's a special cool. little place. That's cool. To yeah. Find. Now I want to know. I want to know how hands on do you work with people? Like, do you work on individuals' cases? Have you had cases where, you know, um, like. I just Empire and Blood is a podcast that just came out about a guy who was uh prison for life like prison for life it was pretty clear that that though he was a bad dude he uh he, he hadn't committed the murders that he committed like do you work on individual cases where you see people who you believe might be innocent or or like how hands on are you So right now my role is I am I do a lot of the monitoring and tracking, so I'm less hands-on than what I was. But generally, the team I work in, we have, um, we do both. So I'll do a lot of research, but then I'll supplement, you know, if a particular legal team needs some extra investigation doing or 
some stuff that we call mitigation, which is all about putting the face to the crime, if you like, and showing how that person got to be where they were today and essentially asking the jury and showing the jury why you should perhaps save this guy and and not choose to kill him. Um, So really, yes, I have done that. At the moment, I'm not working any cases with me directly representing, but I've definitely, yeah, been in and out the prison, done the death row work. And um, so can I, I I guess I'm trying to think of a good like example for you, but just short, go ahead. No, I mean, I'll ask the hard question and say like, so have you worked on have you worked on cases with people where it, it, you know you think you have a chance of helping and then they are put to death? Yeah. Um although I'll say this, um I have been incredibly lucky as a lawyer working in this field in that mm, I I think I'm 90 99% of cases that I have been a part of, that I have touched, that I have become emotionally attached to and invested have avoided execution. Some of them very last minute, but there are only, there are, there are only two people um, that I would point to who I've, who were helping me and working alongside a project that I was running um, who weren't my direct clients, but we were very close um, who were killed. Um, And they were, I don't know if you remember, there was a big, there was a lot of publicity on it a couple of years ago. Um, Indonesia started executing again. Um, One of the big things about that was that they hadn't done it for a while. The new president was in and wanted to show his power. But what was, significant and made the world care was that he killed in the first round um, I think 14 people over a couple of weeks were executed and 13 of those were foreign nationals so including a guy from the Netherlands including a couple of Australians so it really became very political and at the time I was working for governments and and the EU and and in liaison with the UN for foreign nationals overseas, because that creates a whole other dynamic as well, um, in which governments argue over their citizens. So that, I will say, that was was pretty horrible for me, but nowhere near as horrible as it was for the lawyers who were in and out of that jail every day and had to go to the execution island and listen to the gunshots. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm lucky because a lot of lawyers burn out and they have their own, you know, psychological um, dynamics and issues to, to deal with. Um, so a lot of people leave the profession, but a lot of people stay in, you know, um, it's not uncommon to find you know, lawyers with addictions and problems and um, gambling is a big one, you know. Um, (laughs) Drinking and gambling um, uh, are two that I would say I I have commonly seen. Wow, turns out that lawyers have pressure-filled lives, especially when they aim for social justice. Wow, who would have thought that? Very intense stuff. Let's take a break from it. Advertisements, check them out, and we'll be right back with more phone call. 
Clementine Juan Maria was six years old when her mother and father began to speak in whispers, when neighbors began to disappear. In 1994, she and her 15-year-old sister Claire fled the Rwandan massacre and spent the next six years migrating through seven African countries, searching for safety, perpetually hungry, imprisoned and abused, enduring and escaping refugee camps. When Clementine was 12, she and her sister were granted refugee status in the United States. Clementine was taken in by a family who raised her as their own. On the surface, she seemed to live the American dream, attending private school, taking up cheerleading, graduating from Yale. Yet, yet all those years, you can imagine, being treated as less than human, going hungry, seeing death. Those can't just be erased. In The Girl Who Smiled Beads, authors Clementine and Elizabeth Weil provoke us to look beyond the label of victim and recognize the power of imagination to transcend even the most profound injuries and aftershocks. Devastating yet beautiful, The Girl Who Smiled Beads is a powerful testament to Clementine's commitment to constructing a life on her own terms. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Now let's finish off the phone call. Gambling is a big one, you know? Um, (laughs) Drinking and gambling um, uh, are two that I would say I I have commonly seen. People escaping. I have a couple. I have a couple friends who are lawyers who have. They they are very clean cut people, but who have said that uh, cocaine is particularly popular amongst lawyers. That it's that it's a, a thing. Yeah, and I always think of lawyers and bankers. I guess <laughs> when I think of cocaine. Yeah, um, high but, pressure jobs. You need that escape. But I would imagine you. you I would imagine that you, you wind up in a situation like that where someone dies, and it, that takes a little bit. That takes a little bit of you with it, right? Yeah. And you take it very, um, very personally, you know, and, um, it's, it is very, it's very strange, especially for me right now, because I'm thinking a lot about life and death. Yes, because of what I do, but, um, I, you know, my, my dad died recently, which is obviously something a lot of people go through. Nearly all of us experience that, but it's, it's incredible what death does to people. And I think, you know, if I loop that back around to the whole issue, if you were asking about the death penalty and what I would argue against it, like death is a horrible, hard thing. So we should minimize it as much as we can. And if we can stop executing people, you know, deliberately and Definitely when we get it wrong and definitely when we don't do it fairly. Like, I just think the world is going to be, oh, God, that's so cheesy and this worldy, but it's going to be a better place. <laughs> and I should say this as well, Chris. Like, I feel a lot of people, like, scream at me, you know, what if it was your family member? And, well, I can say, you know, I don't know whether it makes a difference to people, but I have an uncle who has been convicted of murder and I also have an uncle who was murdered, not in the same incident, related to each other. But I think that gives me a good insight. Of wow. How it feels and the emotions and what we should do to try and... Ugh, I feel like the vomit rising so ever so slightly, but it's important. Like We want to live in a better place and we can definitely, we can definitely do that by stopping killing people. <laughs> Well, no matter what context we're talking about. I don't I don't think there's any reason to apologize for wanting to make the world a better place. I think uh anybody who would view you saying that as cheesy needs to just have a reality check and realize you're someone putting your money where your mouth is. You're not just spouting off about this on Facebook like 
99% of the population. You, you've actually decided that you, you see some avenues by which to accomplish improving the world and you're trying. So don't feel cheesy or like the vomit's rising or any of that. Now, I, I got to ask, Thank you. That, that's a bomb to drop with 18 minutes left. Your, your two uncles, were they on the same side of the family? Uh, no, different, different sides. Wow. That's to have a murderer in the family and someone murdered. That's very unusual. It's yeah. I don't know. I I mean, maybe I feel like I see a lot of people who have not the same, but very similar, crazy stories, right? Things that have happened to them, you know? Um, I guess I would like to say it's rare, (laughs) But I'm not sure whether that really is true. Um, or at the very least, I don't badly. get to talk to people too much. And I guess, too, that's some of my own prejudice, some of my own ignorance, right? You don't expect somebody who's become a lawyer. I guess there's somebody who said for that, I'm making some assumptions about your upbringing or, or you know, some of the socioeconomic stuff that goes into that. And that's ignorant yeah. of me. Because there's a lot of, maybe a lot of areas of the world or, or neighborhoods in this country where that is more common. And that's ignorant of me. And, uh, you know, I think... Yeah, and I don't know how much that feeds into or doesn't feed into um, what I do and whether it would make a difference or not. I, yeah, I have no way of really telling that. Um, But I can say like it's, I don't know, I I guess thank you for saying what you did say. Like I I don't need to preface this with being cheesy or, you know, whatever. But I guess, yeah, it's nice to hear and it's, that somebody thinks that, well, you're putting your money where your mouth is and you're, you see something and you do, you get up every day and do a little thing that might not change everything, but it's going to help a little bit on some level. Yeah. You're trying to Absolutely. address some of the issues. And I'd, I'd, um, I'd much rather so be accused you. of being, being an idealist than being a fucking cynic. I would much rather yeah. be that. <laughs> Well, sometimes I'm a cynical bitch too. So, but Aren't yeah, we all? I try. I also, can, all? I also can be a cynical bitch. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, yeah, I think uh, there's too much shit in the world for us not to like try and do something about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're allowed to bitch, but then after your bitching is done, you've got to do something productive with it if you can and you have the means. Um, but yeah. 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 You're one of the few um, who does. You're one of the few who does. So don't apologize for that. You're trying. Most uh, people don't, I don't try. I know, yeah. Most people I don't know. Try. There's lots of people, you know, I said, like, who have been really good to me in my life. And as for your, like, assumptions about sort of my background and that I got to be a lot, I mean, I didn't have, uh, I definitely didn't have a bad upbringing at all. Like, I had a, I guess I would say uh, I was lucky. I had a very good childhood. And yeah, sure, we've got our family quirks and the craziness and all that. But really, um, <laughs> I was lucky. I got lucky in that sense, for I, sure. I hate to go dark and I'm not trying to trivialize anything, but the fact that you've revealed that that your family has 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 had been surrounded by murder and now we're circling back and referring to those as family quirks, I have, it <laughs> didn't give me a very, in a very dark humor sense, I did suppress a chuckle. Our, fam- our family quirks, including the two incidents involving murder that I previously mentioned. <laughs> but every family's got something, well, right? 
Well, I suppose, yeah, they do. <laughs> Should I tell you a more funny family quirk, which you'll probably appreciate because yeah. of the British-American dynamic that we've got going? All right. So I found out my granddad, who I always called Grandfather, just because we could never pronounce it right. He, he's always been American to me. So I believed I had like American blood until I was mid-20s when he died and we found out that it was a big lie. But he used to have like an American accent and everything. Where now was, that is a family quirk for you. Where was he from? He was, I think it was Ireland. <laughs> Ireland? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's but why if he's you hiding that. Where he was from. That's why he's hiding that. He's Irish. <laughs> he's Irish. No, I'm Irish. I'm an Irish he's citizen. Irish, really? I'm an Irish citizen now. You are? Yeah, I got my Irish that's citizenship. Great. Yeah. Through your grandparents? Yeah, through my grandparents. Yeah, there you go. It's one of the it's one of the best nationality laws out there. Yeah, now I yep. can now I can flee. Now I can flee when America finally descends into total chaos. I can get out. Well, I was about to say, you know, yeah, you you have those like twenty eight EU countries attached with your passport. I Unfortunately, know. I might not now, but you do. No, <laughs> you can go. Yeah, and if I ever want to go do a stand up tour in Europe, I'm a European citizen. I bet I don't have to fill exactly. out as much paperwork. <laughs> There are real perks to that. That's Ooh, very fun. I love perks. Everybody loves a perk. <laughs> well, so me Irish. too, me too. Very much so. I've uh, I'm how much time do we have left? I'm I'm having fun talking to you and you've been very kind and patient and oh, no, reassured please. me when I've said things that I think I probably shouldn't. So no. I'm very grateful. I you don't want to get cut thing. off without telling you. Uh, we have about eleven minutes left is the answer to your question. <laughs> I guess time flies when we're having fun. Oh yeah, when you're when, when you're uh, when you're when you're having a real good old time and talking about the uh, sad state of the American <laughs> justice system, time flies by. Really, you know flies what? I, by. I, I honestly like. I find myself talking about it all the time. You know, one time I was on a train in the UK, which is different dynamic again because we don't have the death penalty, and I persuaded the train manager guy who was doing the coffees and drinks. So much so that he then did a survey of all the passengers on the train that came to like order a coffee from him to see what their like views on the death penalty were. And then he would ask them about different types of cases. Um, and then depending on the case, you know, they, they would give different views. But his votes were pretty interesting. They were mainly anti-death penalty unless it involved, um, you know, a child and a pedophile. And then in which case it was like a resounding like nine out of ten people would definitely kill that person. Yeah. So I guess people everywhere I go, we end up talking about it. So uh, it's good to talk about it with you. I tell you on my end, you hear about cases and there's times, there's times you hear about crimes where you're like, that's so awful. Yeah. That person probably needs to go. You know, you hear about some of these serial killers, like the, that guy, the Iceman, they did the HBO documentaries about where he just killed for fun. Yeah. You're like, all right, this person probably needs to go off the face of the planet. But then I tell you just on my end, you hear stories about people killed and then they uncover it was a false false conviction. And I'm like, oh, that happened even once? Yeah, we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Like that can't happen well, even um, once. Some people think we should do that because it's for the greater good. But here's like a good analogy that I just love, like when you're dealing with these kind of things. There's a guy um, who, who does a lot of TED Talks on this issue, and he says, 
the facts are, you know, like one in 10. So for like every nine people um, who have been executed, they say one is innocent. And he said for every 10 planes that went up in the sky, if we knew that one was coming down, we would never fly. And in the state I'm in, that statistic changed. So it's like every three and a half planes that go up in the air, one would come down. Like I would never get on that plane. So, you know, get rid of the system and let's just play safe. But yeah. That's mind blowing to hear that it's 10% (laughs) of people who die in an electric chair or injections or whatever. 10% probably didn't do the thing they're accused of. That's, uh, yeah, we got to ditch that system, you know? Yeah. Got to ditch that system. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. Well, we're trying. We're trying. And I I don't know what listeners would think about that. Oh, there's going to be fierce debate. Fierce debate in the (laughs) Facebook group. I can't wait. The mods are going to hate me that way. Listen, because here's the thing I don't get either. It's not like dying in jail is fun. It's not like – that's the other thing I'm like – it, it, okay, so 10% of people executed, they think up to 10% false convictions? Ditch it on that case. But also, it's not like those nine guys who are dying are going to have a great life because they're sitting in a cell. That doesn't seem no. fun to me. And everything you hear about prison is that the people who do the worst shit have it worse than, than you know, this is a notorious thing. You, oh, you did something yeah. to kids? Your life is, you, you're going to, every minute, you're going to have to watch your back. Yeah, I've seen I've seen jurors, you know, on some awful cases, like vote for life just because of that reason, because the person asked for the death penalty. They wanted to die because life was going to be miserable and they refused to do that for him. They wanted him to be punished and which is also nuts because the state where I am right now we've just had a lot of changes in law and basically the Supreme Court told us the way we were doing things is wrong the way you've been doing things for the last like 40 years is wrong and you have to change that so it means that like oh my god like 40 percent of death row are coming back for new hearings so that they're gonna have new sentences so they may not be death penalty cases anymore so it's like all these jurors will go again, and they have, like, a second chance to, I guess, decide on what they want to do. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I know a lot of the juries have been coming back saying life. People, times have changed, and people are seeing life as a better option in the system. Like, the modern juror seems to be doing that, um, at least in comparison to the old, old cases, sort of, uh, sort of like, the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, so times are changing. Like America's trend, we do use it less, so the future is bright, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, let's see. What's this space? What was that? I said, what's this space? What's the space? Watch this space. Oh, watch this space. I thought you were asking me, yeah, what's, what's this space? space? And I said, either I missed a critical piece of information or this is some charming British slang that I'm not familiar with. But yeah, no. fascinating to no. follow. What about Texas, huh? You, people over in Texas doing your job, those are some tired people, huh? Well, you know, actually, the state where I am right now it used to be don't mess with Texas, but right now it's like this state that's like most 
fucked up, if you like, in that world. So we're kind of, Texas have done a great job recently. They they got their like death sentences down to just three death sentences last year. So we're kind of looking to them to help us. Wow. <laughs> Which is crazy. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> you're in a state that makes Texas look good when it comes to death penalty stuff. Wow, you got it. Right tough. now. You, you must be tired all the time. <laughs> no, you know, this bar helps me out. Me <laughs> you know, I love it. We get to conversations. So, wow. You know, what happened to me the other day? It was brilliant. I like randomly was in this bar and this musician came up to me and he heard my accent, which is why he tuned in, but he was blind. I should say that because that makes a difference when he was attracted to the accent. So he came over and he just like, he heard a little bit about what I was doing. And he's like a typical, wonderful musician from the South. who sings the blues and jazz. And he just, he was also massive. He just picked me up and swung me around in this bar and just said, you know, anyone who's trying to make a difference is, uh, that's just a beautiful thing. And they deserve to be swept off their feet. And, um, you know, he brought me down and I was just like, well, you know what? Like my go. So I tried to pick him up and swing him around because he, that's exactly what he just did. <laughs> he like tried to make a difference to somebody. Showed that him a is... funny little moment. So a, a blind bluesman picks you up, swings you around and bar. That is an American story right there. That's like something out of a <laughs> Kerouac book. A blind bluesman. That's like one of the... Yeah, it's a life magical moment, right? Thank you, America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got three minutes left. So tell me what you're going to do on your holiday quickly before you go. Going to go visit my parents. Try to relax a little wow. bit. Try to relax, chill out. And wow. see the Avengers. I'm going to see the Avengers Infinity War for sure. Got to see Avengers. And I'm going to think a lot about comedy and jokes. And as I say this out loud, I'm feeling progressively guiltier that you do so much and I do so little. No, that's not. That's not. You don't do little. Are you kidding? Look what you've done for mental health. Yeah. I mean, I haven't listened to every single podcast, but I already know that. Look what you're doing. You're giving the little people, the people who wouldn't get like a chance uh, to... Say, have their voice heard and speak to you and be honest about these issues and open the door on problems and how you can get help. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. It's You're not. not. Thank You're you doing very your much. Thing. Thank you very much. But it's not about me. No. It's not about me. No, it's, it's, but that's, that's why it's wonderful. Um, and I, I wish you the best of holidays with your parents. And, you know, I, you know, with dad dying recently, I'll say, you know, spend as much time as you can with mom and dad, you know, because it's wonderful, wonderful times and moments that sort of just, yeah, you just got to enjoy it while you can and make the most of it. Um, yeah, do everything that you can to make life as beautiful as possible, I guess. I think that's a beautiful policy. Do everything you can to make life as beautiful as possible. Yeah. That's pretty great. Sounds like a good note. <laughs> it does sounds like something you'd read uh um, like uh as you're like waiting to enter a spa when you've already got the bathrobe on <laughs> and, the, and the slippers on you look down and see that on a coffee table on like a coaster oh 
Uh, maybe we should write it on my wall. I actually have a phrase on my wall. It's not me who put it up there, but I do think it's interesting. It says, you have more freedom than you are using. Wow. Ooh, my, my landlord is interesting, I guess. Oh, that's not, I thought you meant in your office. No, 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 in my, in my living room. You have more freedom yeah, than you Yeah, that's what he chose to write. I'm pretty yeah. proud. I use a lot of my freedom. I have the privilege of freedom, and I use a lot of it. I'm proud of it. I guess that's also a beautiful note. We should. We should use the freedom that we have. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Where should I go next well, time I'm in Manchester? What should I see? We've got 45 seconds. Give me one recommendation. Oh, my God. The pressure. Give me one recommendation for Manchester. Or the go north the of England. Hall. Go to the what? Town Hall. Town Hall in Manchester and the Beetham Tower. Walk the streets of the Northern Quarter. Really? Oh, I think I lost you for a second, but maybe you just hung up because 45 minutes, 45 seconds went. But thank no, you, Chris. you disappeared and then it came back with a strange roaring sound that made me fear for your safety. <laughs> I guess nobody wants you to know the best secrets of Manchester. <laughs> no, not at all. We missed a couple. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for talking to me. Have a lovely holiday. Caller, thank you for calling and telling me about your life. Thank you for doing everything you do. Try not to uh, be too divisive politically, but I think it's pretty obvious that I'm on your side of the fence. I said that in the show. And uh, thank you. Thanks for doing what you do and, and stepping up. I think it's really cool. Thank you, Jared O'Connell, Harry Nelson. Thank you, Reverend John Delore. Thank you, Greta Cohn. Thank you, Shell Shack. Want to know more about me when I'm out on the road doing my stand-up shows? ChrisGeth.com is the website. If you want to help Beautiful Anonymous, you go to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do it. That's all the business. We'll see you next time. Wake up, you're in bed, you don't want to get out of bed. What's going to make you get out of bed? Maybe something worth getting out of bed for, like a Thomas's Original Nooks and Crannies English Muffin. There is nothing quite like that irresistible nook and cranny texture. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges, a soft, warm center. How the butter pools inside those little nooks and crannies. It's amazing, and it's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins, they're truly like no other. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, I get a little worked up and I hand out some tough love. You're like, you should do it. No, you, you check off the boxes. I'm saying, the, absolute, the absolutely you and should then, do it. Absolutely you should do it. But if you, if you would be happy... If you would be happy doing anything else, go do that because you're going to feel this way forever if you do it. Can I just be frank? Do you want more tough love? Yes, please. Stop pulling the bullshit where you say you don't know how it works. You know how it works. You're scared and you're admitting that and that's commendable. Just go try. Give it a year and go try and go hard. And do, and do an open mic every day. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. This is Nagin Farsad. I am a comedian, a writer, a honey mustard enthusiast. I also host a podcast on Earwolf called Fake the Nation. 
So here's the deal. Every Thursday, I invite two of my favorite politically savvy comedian pals and policy buffs, and we kvetch about news and politics. And I'm talking about people like W. Kamau Bell, Robin Thede, Brian Safi, Asif Manvi, John Lovett. Guys, the list goes on. What I'm saying is we get very funny, fancy people. And together, we chat about things like the Russia investigation, Syria, the EPA, you know, just some of the light stuff. But we also do the light stuff. And we do it in three tasty little segments that are rung in with this cool bell. Yeah, that's the bell. So, you guys, check out Fake the Nation on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. There's new episodes every Thursday evening. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.